A note to our listeners. DVMT is not a medical advice podcast. The opinions and views expressed on this show are for entertainment purposes only. If your animal is facing a medical emergency, please hang up on the podcast, skip the Facebook crowdsourcing, and call your local veterinarian. Enjoy the show. Hello. (laughs) We never know how to start this. Um, Welcome to another episode of Doctors of Veterinary Medical Television. As you can tell, we've really been sticking with our bi-weekly episode schedule. <laughs> Just really cranking out the episodes. Um, what have you been doing, Katie, since the last time I saw you? I've gotten really into puzzles recently, so mostly I listen to podcasts and work on puzzles for like hours at a time, and that's about it. Wow. And you're 65? Uh, 67, but um, <laughs> yes. Are you not going to ask me about what oh, I've been doing? I thought you doing? would just jump right in. Uh, Jeff, what have you been doing? I haven't seen you in quite some time. Yeah. Um, well, I got to go home for a little bit, and I made it home safely. That's right, on the bald tires. Yeah. Have you gotten I mean, new tires I, I did yet? get new okay, tires, thank so God. don't you worry. Uh, I got the best money could buy, um, and it made it home from Oklahoma to Iowa just in time because it snowed, like, the next day, and I don't think I would have made it to work without... New yeah, tires. I was very concerned about you when I thought about you driving through that and without real tires. So. Don't you worry. I'm safe now. Except my heating has gone out of my car. <laughs> so I can't, like, defrost my windows if they fog up. Have you thought about looking for a different car? Well, yes. <laughs> but I uh, don't have any money because we are indentured servants at this point in time. It's true. It's true. And no one signed up for our Patreon page <laughs> that we haven't actually set up yet. So maybe you could get a bike. Then drive I do have a bike. <laughs> the tires fly. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a constant theme in my life of not having proper tires. <laughs> maybe we should introduce our guests. Cause this week we have a guest with us in my podcast studio kitchen. <laughs> Yes, I'm uh, very impressed that you were able to find someone who had actually listened to the podcast and then agreed to be on the podcast, so... To be fair, I did trick her into... (laughs) I asked if she would help me with a quote-unquote project and made her volunteer and say yes before I actually told her what it was, but I did give her the option to back out after she found out what was going to happen, and she reluctantly still said yes, so... (laughs) Uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest this week. It is Dr. Alana Farrell. Hi, you guys. It's nice to be here. It's actually also been one of my dreams to either have a podcast or be on a podcast. So this is a big day for me. We make dreams come true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, glad we could help with that and glad you're here. Yeah. Um, do you want to jump right in? Yeah. Are you ready? I, th- I mean, I think so. Okay. So I was tasked with watching a veterinary episode of some television show, and so I chose UConn Vet, yeah. which was, I think it's Dr. Oakley. Dr. Oakley. Um, and so I watched the first episode of the first season last night. So did we. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I watched it this morning. I also watched it this morning. I should preface this entire episode with the fact that my husband is um, low-key obsessed with Dr. Oakley, so 
I might be a little bit salty at times because I think that he wishes I was as cool as her. Um, I think we all do. I mean, that was the first time I watched it, but I was thoroughly impressed yeah, with her. Yeah, she's pretty cool. I yes. want to be like Dr. Ellie. I do too. But yeah, Dylan will literally just watch that show all day. Um, and yes, I often ask him if he wishes that I was a real vet like her. And he says no, but I think he does. <laughs> well, I do have to say, one of the big perks of that show is the scenery. Like, the whole time That's I was watching, I was like, this, this is stunning. And I was also watching My Significant Other last night. Um, and he was like, you've said that literally every time it, like, pans to, like, a, a new place in the episode. I'm like, wow, this is really pretty. But I was I was very impressed. Yeah. Um, I thought the Yukon was in Alaska. And then they said that it is next to Alaska. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, all right. And then in part of the episode, they used what I'm pretty sure was Monopoly money. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, oh, yeah, this is definitely not. And everyone seemed so nice. I was like, this has got to be Canada because everyone was so nice. And then I, like, didn't I didn't want to turn to my significant other and be like, where is, where is the Yukon? <laughs> uh, but I definitely did partway through. And he was like, well, I think part of it is, like, in eastern Alaska, but there's, like, a Canadian portion. And I was like, it doesn't matter. It's beautiful. This is all news to me. I apparently was not paying very close attention, and I also... Very much assumed it was all in Alaska. <laughs> and perhaps it is. Do we know for sure? Well, she did... Uh, the The voiceover did say it was next to Alaska, but she does work in a clinic in part, like, partly in Alaska. Yeah. They said her uh, satellite okay. clinic was... Yeah. And in a, can we in a part take a minute, too, to appreciate that she has a clinic that's attached to her house where she has a family. Like, she seems apparently, like, happily married and has three kids. And then she also has the satellite clinic. And she works on multiple different species every day. And I was watching that, and I was like, this woman is amazing. Like, now I know why why your significant other is into her. Because I was like, this is so impressive. Like, I struggle to, you know, like, get through my week, and I'm working on, like, one species at a time. Yeah, she is a total badass. When they first panned to her, her clinic, I was, like, amazed at how big... And then I realized it was part of her house. But still, it was, it was huge. Compared to Dr. Pole who works out of, like, a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Does he really? From that first episode, it did look like the the office was, like, a very, yeah. like, a mobile home. Where is, where is he located at? Is he in He's the in Midwest? lower Michigan, yeah. Okay. Clearly, you haven't watched or listened to our previous episodes, because we've discussed this at length. About the location? Yeah. There's probably a good hour on yeah. the location. <laughs> Purely the location. Yeah. Um, well, before we get too far into the episode, um, let's talk about you. And, oh boy. And we can juxtapose you against Dr. Oakley. Um, so, as we said, Alana is a veterinarian like us, but uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more of your journey in vet med? Katie and I both have talked about ours ad nauseum, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> Go ahead and, and tell us about your vet med journey. Yeah, so uh, I was kind of a horse-crazy girl, like the typical horse-crazy girl from the time I was probably three years old, and had no intention of becoming a veterinarian at all until probably my junior year of college, uh, at which point I changed majors and became pre-vet. Then uh, I just got really lucky, I think, and got into vet school 
and then went into vet school like with the intention of just working on horses um, and then pretty quickly figured out that I really liked surgery um, and was also a glutton for punishment and was maybe a sadist too and I thought it'd be fun to just stay in school and you know not get paid very much and keep hammering away at this specialty. So I graduated, um, I went to school at Washington State University and then did an internship in private practice that was equine specific and then did another internship uh, at a university that was rotating large animal um, and then now I'm in uh, equine surgery residency. So I've been at the whole education bit for a while now. <laughs> yeah, is that something that you want to do after? Yeah. education? You know, it's a, it's a good question. It's kind of the options if you go into equine surgery are to go into private practice or um, academia. And I think I've always planned on going into private practice, but I, I like to think I'm a pretty open-minded person and I probably, to be honest, won't make that decision until I'm like three months away from finishing my residency <laughs> and then I'll like have a look around at the options and make a decision at that point. You mentioned that this is your, or you took two internships. Is that a common thing? And, and what was, is that like? Is that hard? I know we currently have interns who are on their second internship and are also trying to go the equine surgery route. And so they're pretty stressed about that right now. But can you go into that a little bit more? Yeah, so um, the, the match, it's like match season right now for all um, veterinary students or interns that are wanting to specialize and go into either another internship or residency and it's kind of like um, debutante ball season and that we're like preparing them to go someplace else to further their training um, and having gone through that twice it's a really stressful time of year um, and I think depending on what specialty you want to go into um, you should sometimes plan on doing two internships and equine surgery is one of those uh, for whatever reason people want to do it <laughs> um, and and uh, it's not uncommon for people to have to do two internships and I think kind of the fashionable thing to do right now is to do one in private practice and then do one in academia and then you're considered a more balanced applicant um, but I do think you know it's, it's a big financial investment because you're not getting paid a lot as an intern regardless what? of the specialty <laughs> um, and so to do that uh, two years um, after vet school and, you know, especially because most of us are coming out with a lot of debt. That's a big financial investment. And it's a big... Katie and I don't really know what that's <laughs> like. It's a big time investment, too. So, like, you have friends that you graduated with that are becoming part owners in a practice uh, and are considered, you know, quote-unquote real doctors. And you're like, no, I'm just still an intern. <laughs> Hoping someone will take me to the debutante ball this year. Um, so, it's, it's a... I understand why the process is in place and I appreciate the training, but... Uh, match season is definitely a tough time of year. Um, and like you said, we have a couple interns that are going through it and I don't envy them at all. I'm having secondhand anxiety for them <laughs> right now. It is, I'm a ball of nerves for them. I'm like, did we interview anywhere today? <laughs> uh, so I, I prop props to you for being able to go for it and not give up because I'm pretty sure if I didn't match for my residency, I probably would have just gone somewhere and done something else because that whole process is not fun at all. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's a big investment. And in years that aren't COVID, usually you're spending your own money to go fly across the country and go to all these interviews and use your time off to do that. Um, and I would say that's maybe one of the 
few benefits of COVID this year with the match is that they're not doing any in-person interviews. And so they're saving, I think, a significant amount of money uh, just doing all their interviews via Zoom. On the flip side of that, all your interviews are via Zoom. <laughs> so, so if that's not a, a good way for you to show off, then that's kind of a bummer because that's your only opportunity. I do remember that from fourth year, students having to use all of their vacation time just to visit places that they were interested in doing an internship with. And at least during fourth year, I think there's still a lot of the like initial excitement and you're so invested in it that they seemed happy to do that. But I just thought it was crazy that they had to spend all of this money and all of their time off that they had in order to just have the chance to maybe end up being an intern at a specific uh, institution. So, Did you see yeah. people going through that and are like, kind of look at yourself, you're like, am I doing something wrong? Am I supposed to be just as prepared? Because I definitely went through fourth year very lackadaisical and like just kind of wound up in a fortunate position. Same. I, I do think I was lucky that I sort of landed in my position pretty early on in fourth year, like towards the uh, early fall. So it was sort of like I was kind of locked into what I was going to be doing before everyone reached that like super high stress point. But it did, then I sort of just was able to kind of coast through the rest of it knowing that I had a plan and I did not envy people at all that were, you know, waiting until it seemed like the day before graduation to find out where they would be going next. I, again, yeah, just secondhand anxiety for them because I could not have handled that. And it's so competitive. Like, I, it's been a while since I've thought back to fourth year, but, and especially, I'm sure it's the same in different specialties, but I remember, like, if you wanted to specialize in equine, and even if it wasn't surgery, just you know, you just wanted to do a good equine internship. You know, a lot of your classmates and you were, are doing externships, right, at, at similar practices, and then you're all kind of comparing notes, and a lot of you are hoping to go to similar places. And so even though you wish the best for your colleagues, it's definitely a competitive atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, that makes it tough. I know it was always – I enjoyed watching the dynamics between people who are interested in similar areas of uh, – of practice just because it was that, you know, they sort of stayed close together because you share the same interests, but from the outside looking in, you could always tell that, like, I think maybe they would cut each other for this <laughs> yeah. uh, internship. Oh, but... I know. I used to compare it to, like, this is embarrassing, but I watch a lot of um, the Bachelor franchise, <laughs> and it always reminds me of that because, like, all the girls in the house end up being friends because they all live in the house, right? But they also kind of, like, low-key hate each other because they're going for the same thing. And that's how I feel, like, going through match and things like that are. is like, you're like, yeah, we're buddies because we have common interests, but we're all wanting the same thing. Why did you decide to go into vet med anyway? Like, I know you no. said you were a horse girl, <laughs> but... Yeah, no, I, I knew that I wanted to be involved in the horse industry in some capacity from a really young age. And I honestly, I honestly thought I would be like a barn manager or a trainer or a rider. Um, but for one, I'm not that talented, you know, to be a professional rider or trainer. Um, not with and that I, attitude. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I was always a nerd. Like I was pretty good in school. So I think my parents and my teachers were like, hey, like, wouldn't it be cool if you were like a doctor and you could do that and work on horses and be an equine vet? And I was like, no, like they don't. You know, like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. 
Um, and I actually took a semester off between my sophomore and junior year of college when I was working for a natural horsemanship company. Um, and I was down in Florida and I was helping them with a lot of their like horse health management. Um, and that's when I kind of realized I was like, you know, I'm pretty young, like I should go back to school and switch to being pre-vet and try to get into vet school. And to be totally honest with you guys, like yes, I wanted to do it to like help horses and that was the main motivation. But there was also a component of, hey, that looks like a challenge, and I just like want to see if I can get in, and I want to see if I can do this. And then I, you know, then as I got more exposure to it, then I really loved it. Um, and then once I got a chance to shadow um, at equine clinics and ride around with equine vets, then I really loved it. Um, but I would say part of the initial <laughs> impetus for even applying was just the challenge of like, wow, this looks hard. Like I want to see if I can do it. So. It's a little embarrassing to admit, but that's the truth. <laughs> I think that's probably more common than people realize, or at least that there, I noticed it in a lot of my classmates, that you sort of get into vet school for one reason and graduate and end up practicing for a different reason. You know, it's sort of, there's a big shift, I think, in a lot of people because a lot of times it's just not really what you expect, and that isn't necessarily a bad thing for everyone, but it just can be a, a big change in sort of what you we're thinking it would be like for you. Yeah. I got into it for the money. <laughs> it's a mistake. Uh, that <laughs> that uh, has not paid off yet. <laughs> I just... It's not I, too late. <laughs> I chose this career path solely based on how I could accumulate the most uh, student loan debt. <laughs> and, and you've that, been wildly successful, yes, I'm sure. So wildly. Like, so good at it. <laughs> You found something you're really good I at. I know. Every day that balance is getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. It's just incredible. So what would you do if you weren't in vet med? Oh, this is a good question. Okay. So the, the like real answer is I would probably still be in the horse industry somewhere. Um, and I had a degree in animal science, so I'd probably be like a barn manager or something like that. But my big fear is to have an office job. So I'm like, no, I'd be outside. I'd be with horses. Um but my cool like fantasy job is that I would be a marine biologist that like solely studies great white sharks. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Like everyone loves Shark Week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think everyone low key wants that job. Uh, but yeah, that would be baller. Yeah, but I do get wildly seasick, so that's why that's like maybe not the most realistic job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that might put a damper on things. Maybe yeah. you could like study them from the shore. <laughs> Make a lifelong diet. How are program. things going out there? <laughs> You're looking good. Good. Okay, I'm gonna stay here. <laughs> it's looking a little rough out there. <laughs> it's kind of choppy, like the ocean. <laughs> I love Shark Week like I have just been shouting about. Uh, I just, at times, I've, I think I've come to peace with, I think I'm going to probably die from a shark attack. I've thought that yeah. too, but I think that's because we've grown up watching Shark Week. Yeah, probably. So then we like dream about it and we're like, yep, that's a likely way to go. Yeah. Very, very Despite common. living in a landlocked yeah. area. Yeah, do you spend a lot of time in the ocean? <laughs> Not really, but I just know that's how I'm going to leave this world. I really put a damper on it. We'll probably cut this out. I just, this is all going to be cut. (laughs) Katie, do you want to ask the next question? Our next question for you, because 
we sort of touched on this in our first episode, uh, are what are some of the most common questions or comments you get from non-veterinary people? So whether that's your friends and family or random people, hairstylists, whoever that hear that you're a veterinarian, there there seem to be some yeah. popular ones. Oh, I would say so. Like coming from strangers, like you're sitting on an airplane and you're talking to a stranger and you happen to make the mistake of admitting that you're a veterinarian. Probably the most common thing is like I wanted to be a veterinarian or they knew someone that wanted to be a veterinarian and then you're like oh okay and then you feel obligated to be like well what do you do instead you know and then and then they can kind of take it from there but from friends and family particularly family it's usually questions about um, their small animals so their dogs and cats and I'm like, you know, you should really ask your veterinarian. Like, I know, I know that I graduated with a degree that says I can work on these, but like, I have not thought about them since I graduated. So please contact your veterinarian. And usually it's like, usually it's a cat question, which is even worse because I have a dog. Um, so I know like enough to try to think that I could like triage stuff with her to at least like get her to the emergency room. But when it comes to cats, I know nothing. Even though horses and cats are almost the exact same creature. (laughs) Yeah, it's still... (laughs) Yeah. And then I would say the other group of people, um, because I have my own horses, like if you board your horses at any kind of public boarding facility or you compete, and again, you make the mistake of admitting that you're a veterinarian or they figure it out, the number of people that ask for... Um, like free lameness exams basically but they don't word it that way they're always like hey like I thought my horse was a little off like do you mind watching him jog and you're like yeah except that like normally this would cost like a hundred (laughs) bucks but sure Um, so usually it's it's the kind of the free advice thing and it's it's meant I think very innocently Um, but I I admire veterinarians who are really good at setting boundaries and I hope that someday I'm one of them (laughs) Yeah, that seems to be a really uh, good skill that certain people have, which I don't think I've figured it out because I don't think it's fair. You know, I get sometimes I get annoyed when people ask me stuff, and I don't think it's fair of me to get annoyed with people for asking until I figure out how it, I can establish those boundaries. Um, and I know I don't get nearly as many questions as some of my friends that, uh, you know, practice small animal medicine and that sort of thing do, but... Yeah, some people it's like they can do it so effortlessly and it's like in a non-offensive way and the people just completely understand. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly don't have that skill. Yeah. Well, yet. in today's day and age, like there's so many ways that people can contact you to ask questions. So you have social media, right? So people can like DM you like my dog, you know, just ate rat poison and you're like, stop DMing me and please like take it to (laughs) the veterinarian. Yeah. Or, you know, I think Facebook messengers are really popular way of like Mm -hmm. getting you. And I've started making the habit of just not opening the messages. Um, cause then it doesn't look like I've read them cause I haven't. And then I don't have to feel bad that I didn't respond. Um, and then, you know, then they see you in person. But there's just so many ways for them to contact you and ask questions. And I think at some point you have to be like, no, my time is valuable and my knowledge is valuable and I want to help those. But in order to do that and feel like I'm doing a good job, there has to be a point in the day when I'm not doing that. Right. right. It definitely helps to be in large animal <laughs> because, yeah. yeah, like you were saying, most of the time it is dog and cat questions and it I feel like a lot easier to be like oh I I work on cattle <laughs> I'm not the one you want yeah like <laughs> you you shouldn't take yeah. advice from me but on the 
flip side. So, like, if I had someone in my family that was, like, say, a dermatologist, I, I know that I would constantly be taking pictures of lesions on my skin. <laughs> Not that I have a ton of lesions on my skin. <laughs> but I would, con- I'd, like, take pictures of every, like, mole that was suspicious, and I'd be like, what do you think of this, you know? <laughs> So I, I understand why people do it, and I, I... I think it's good not to take offense, like, and and, and realize it's... Like, I, I've, I've seen posts about people really complaining about about people reaching out to them. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, at least they think you're knowledgeable or, like, close yeah. enough. I don't know that they feel comfortable with you to ask those questions and realize it's probably not coming out of a malicious or... Right, or right, like, and I, I think that... There is this weird phenomenon that I've noticed, at least, where veterinarians seem to think that this only happens to them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it totally, if you are an accountant, I'm sure you get spammed with questions from people that have accounting. But, you know, it's like no matter what you're doing, if people know you have an expertise in a certain area, they're going to ask you questions about that area. So, yeah, I think kind of reframing and thinking about, well, obviously these people think that I know about this area but then being able to, you know, protect your own time and uh, mental health and everything to be able to sort of like know when and when not to fall prey to spending hours and hours researching something for free for someone. But. <laughs> yeah. I know you you just said like if you're on a plane and make the mistake of telling someone you're a vet. <laughs> do you have a, a a canned like fake job that you tell people oh if God. people ask you? I don't, but now I really want to. Because there are some people that I know that are just, like, formed, like, I have this job. That's amazing. I might go with the great white shark. (laughs) They (laughs) may ask questions I can't answer. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of my friends told me that she told people she was a card designer for Hallmark. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I love and I think I might steal. <laughs> and then they asked her what, what cards she's designed, and she's like, well, if you, they have an owl on them, then that's probably one I've designed. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I love that so much. But to that, yeah. I usually just do the headphones as soon as I sit down. And no eye contact. Like, no eye contact and try to fall asleep. I do think that I've told people that I'm, like I'll just say I'm a grad student, and sort of not elaborate on it. Or if I say I'm a vet, then I try and say it in a way that they at least don't... I don't want to have to explain the rest of my (laughs) veterinary career path because uh, generally people just don't quite understand what it is that I'm doing. Much like I don't understand. (laughs) You're a little lost, too. They're like, all right, I'm about to unpack some shit on you. (laughs) How long is this flight? Four hours? Perfect. What is something that you would tell your pre-veterinary self? Uh, I think it would be, uh, like, don't worry, which sounds kind of dumb, but, like, don't worry about all the things people are going to tell you you're going to sacrifice because, yeah, you'll sacrifice some, but it all in all it ends up hopefully being worth it. And I just remember being so stressed in vet school and especially towards the end of vet school, as I was gearing up for my first internship, everyone was like, you're not going to have a life. You're not going to see your loved ones anymore. You're not going to get to ride your own horses anymore. You're not going to have any hobbies. And that didn't ultimately end up being true for any stage of my training, really. And I really resent now that people told me that. So I think that's the big thing I would tell myself is just like, don't listen to that. You'll still make time for the things that are important to you. And you'll enjoy the training. Like, you won't think of it the whole time as being these huge sacrifices that you're making. 
Um, because I think I think the stress of anticipating that actually was more detrimental than any of the sacrifices I actually ended up making. Yeah, I think people do in vet med, and unfortunately I think it's because for a lot of them maybe that was true for their experience, but I try to make, just in any aspect of life, like I don't want someone else's experience to change my expectations of something. So, but it is very hard when you have, you know, it's coming at you from all angles and like that's basically all anyone ever says is how hard everything is and uh, yeah, that you'll have zero time to do anything else. But the truth is like you can find balance and there may be periods of time where it's crazier than others, but you know, that's not going to be every day. And it is sad to me that people then go into internships and that sort of thing with such a negative expectation that then it just becomes like that self-fulfilling prophecy. I, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I like loved, I loved my first internship that was in private practice. And yeah, we worked hard and yeah, I missed some sleep (laughs) a couple nights, but um, ultimately like I enjoyed it so much and I still did all the things I really loved to do. Yeah. So, and I've really enjoyed telling our students that I think that's one of the things I enjoy most about working at a university now is getting to talk to students and be like, be excited. Like, especially in your fourth year, like you should be geared up and stoked and super happy about where you're at. And I get really mad when I hear anyone tell them anything else. Cause I'm like, no, don't set their expectations so low. You yeah. should have them geared up and ready to go learn a ton and still enjoy doing all the things that they would normally do. I think it's an easy trope to kind of fall in to like make those jokes of being like, don't do it. And I mean, I just, as soon as someone tells me they want to do an internship, that's my, I usually just yell at them, don't do it. And then I, I laugh afterwards and I hope that, but I think it's easy to kind of just fall into that. It's part of the culture. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I, I agree 100% with what you're saying is, you can make time for the things you like. And we've talked about it previously about living to work or working to live. And like for those that don't let their job consume them, you can still definitely find time for hobbies. Um, And I think it's like, we've probably mentioned this before too, just because your job doesn't consume you doesn't mean that you're not doing a good job or that you don't really care about that job. You know, I think that has really taken over vet med where it's, if it's not running you into the ground, then you don't care enough and you're, you know, not the best vet that you can be. And I just, I, I hope that we can get away from that mentality. Yeah. Cause clearly it wasn't working, right? Like right. the attrition rate of veterinarians was so high that well, if that's not working, then we need to change (laughs) maybe the hours we're working or how we view it. And I I think hopefully some strides are being made. Um, But I know, at least like for equine veterinarians, man, it's very rare to see someone that like graduates, starts out wanting to work on horses and then works on horses until they retire. Like that's a huge rarity. And so there's this huge age gap right now of older practitioners that are like in their 60s or even in their 70s. And then nothing and then ones that are like in their 20s you know because a lot of the ones in between have washed out and I think that's why is because they've been told that unless you have like sold your soul to this then you're not going to do a good job yeah which is bullshit (laughs) speaking of taking your work home with you (laughs) what are you currently binging on tv 
We obviously are basing this podcast on uh, television shows, and I think you can learn a lot about someone by <laughs> by what they are, are watching on any of the services. So what are you currently, or what do you recommend? Okay. So I usually have something kind of dark I'm watching, and then I have like a light palette cleanser show. <laughs> so the dark, the best like dark thing that I've watched recently uh, was the Outsider series on HBO um, with Jason Bateman, and it's based on a Stephen King novel. So like dark, but very good and very well done. Um, and then the palette cleanser for a long time now <laughs> has been um, Somebody Feed Phil <laughs> on Netflix. And I've never heard of that. What so, is that? So Phil, I'm probably not going to get this right. He was either like the producer, director, writer of um, Everybody Loves Raymond. And he's this like tall, scrawny, older white dude from New York. And he just travels all around the world eating all this different food and meeting new people. So it's like the perfect palate cleanser because it's always happy. And it's, especially in times of COVID, it's nice because you see him traveling and you're like, oh, look, there's like <laughs> other things happening outside of my little bubble. Yeah. Um, so I highly recommend if you want something to just like make you feel good or to like wash yourself of the serial killer show you've just watched, <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah. I had heard of The Outsider. I feel like I've wanted to watch that. I guess I have to come up with another email address to get a free HBO trial or something. <laughs> or um, if HBO wants to sponsor us, because <laughs> I too have had so many recommendations for HBO shows and then had to be like, ah, I can't afford that another streaming service. <laughs> yeah, I will have to at least check out the Somebody Feed Phil. Yeah, yeah. I do also. I really love food shows, so. It's and they, they do always seem really happy, so that's a great great one to and they're usually short like I feel like usually the food shows are like short so it's like something you know you don't have to spend a couple hours watching which is nice yes and you don't have to like pay attention necessarily something you could put on to like do chores or while you're working on a puzzle or you're puzzling with your foot massager (laughs) (laughs) what are you guys watching right now so (laughs) Currently, I have become addicted to this show called Blown Away. It is a glass-blowing competition on Netflix. (laughs) The second season just came out, and boy howdy, is it some good television. They make... I I just didn't realize how awesome glass-blowing was and, like, all the steps involved with it and how dramatic it can be and is it how, like is it like a baking show and that like it's satisfying because you like watch them create this thing yeah and they, they so they have 10 glass blowers each season and they each episode get a, a challenge so they're like this week we want you to do a body in motion and they give them kind of these vague themes and have them interpret it how they want and then they judge their, like, piece at the end. And they only have, like, four hours to make these things, which doesn't seem like a lot of time to me. And, like, people are constantly, like, dropping glass and stuff like that. And so they're like, oh, shit, I have to remake this piece and, like, have to do it in a hurry. And it, it's very cool. It's and called Blown Away. Blown Away. Second season just came out on Friday. I'm halfway through. <laughs> Much like Forged in Steel, yeah. you and Dylan are on the exact same Netflix yeah. uh, binge uh, trajectory. So, yeah, we also started Blown Away second season. I think yesterday, I'm pretty sure we're almost done with it. It's but so good. It is really entertaining. And 
it's I like Netflix is doing all sorts of these types of shows where it's things that you you know it's kind of that cooking show dynamic but it's a subject that you would never otherwise be exposed to so like blown away has been really cool because what else have you ever really watched someone blow glass and then the forged in steel which they made hand forged knives uh that was also one of those things where it's you don't realize how fascinating something is until you watch people that are really good at it. Yeah. Crafts. And now I feel like I'm slightly an expert, too, with Forged and Steel. So I'm like, oh, they don't have time to make this canister to mask. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking idiot. <laughs> 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 and have never been into a forge at all. <laughs> I think the good thing about those shows, too, is you don't feel quite as guilty watching them or binging them because you're like I'm learning about a skill set like this is not nearly as like bad as watching like four episodes of Bridgerton you know because they're real people doing real things it's a learning experience and I like them too because they sort of have I think maybe Netflix is trying to hone in on the Great British Baking Show feel and everything and so a lot of these competition shows they're just like everyone's kind of nice to each other. You know, there's no bad feelings ever. I mean, people, here and there, people get annoyed, but it's not like competition shows used to be where everyone was so cutthroat, and now it, it's almost more of like a team event now, yeah. which I really enjoy. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of why you're here. So you chose Dr. Oakley, Yukon Vet, season one, episode one. Why did you choose that show? I honestly thought it would have the prettiest scenery. <laughs> and I... And also, uh, Dr. Pole is, like, one of the more well-known ones, but he's had enough controversy around him that I was like, I'm not picking that one. Um, so that's why I picked UConn Vet, which I'm glad I did. I actually enjoyed watching it. Um, I wasn't sure if I would be, like, rolling my eyes the entire time. Um, but I was really entertained, and probably partially because, like I said, she's, like, working on species that are, you know, pretty broad throughout her day. So I, it was interesting. Yeah, I'm really glad you chose this one, too, because like Katie said before, her husband has <laughs> fallen in love with Dr. Oakley, <laughs> and I had heard other people when I would mentioned, like, hey, we're doing this podcast where we're watching vet television show, other people have, like, told me about Dr. Oakley, so I was excited to get to see her, and I can see what all the, all the hubbub was about. She's very, like, like you're saying, the, the scenery is beautiful, and that... I could have a half hour show of them just panning through different <laughs> landscapes. Like a nice <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, she was very calm and knowledgeable. And it was funny, like, I don't know if you picked this up during the episode, but like, she would be calm about an appointment, and like, the voiceover guy would be super dramatic. And it was like, these dogs could die from these porcupine <laughs> quills. And she was just like, yeah, so we're just going to sedate them and pull out the porcupine quills. Yeah, I did think that was pretty funny. And then even the, the like, neuter scene was also, like, a little more dramatic mm-hmm. than I think you really needed to be. Yeah. Um, and but, it doesn't seem like she buys into that because no. after a couple episodes of Dr. Pole that we've seen, he kind of hypes into the theatrics of it, and she's just very calm and just kind of goes about her business yeah she really i i think it takes a certain person to do well in like being on tv and presenting that sort of information and she's awesome i mean you see a lot of her client communication and then her clients will speak you know and kind of say like oh well she explained this or that to us and they always sound like they completely understand what's going on which is sort of 
uh, in contrast with Dr. Pohl's <laughs> clients. Um, and yeah, she just, she has a very good presence and I think she seems really down to earth, but has like obviously a great grasp on everything that she's doing, even when it's sort of a, a new situation or species that she's dealing with. So yeah. Also, can you imagine having a camera crew with you <laughs> in, in your average day? Like, I think that would be so stressful, and it would be really hard not to be thinking about that the entire time. Yeah, I get weird with us just, like, recording ourselves, and I'm like, how do I talk like a human being? (laughs) So I can't imagine actually then interacting with someone. Right. It makes me wonder how long, you know, how long were they around filming before they had the footage for the first episode sort of thing? Like... Is this a whole process where they were there for a couple weeks and then they, you know, as she got more comfortable? Or if this is just, like, day one and she was just that great from the start, but... I believe it. She seems, she really seems solid. super cool. Um, her little, her daughter selling her goat Aww. to buy her mom birthday earrings, I was like, this is the sweetest. I would have never done that as a child. Yeah. I was like, who gave you that idea? <laughs> this is staged. And she was like a little professional, too. Yeah. She was like, yeah, like, I've got the goat in the back of the car. He's like, ready to go. I'll take $15 for him. Thank you very much. <laughs> Though she did kind of cave on her deal. She's like, how much do you want for the goat? And he's like, $15. And the lady paused for a second. And she's like, $10. <laughs> you just went down on your price? I didn't even say anything. So. Which is that like an average price for a cashmere goat? I don't know. I was like, this seems kind of like lowballing it. She was selling it to get like earrings for her mom. I was like expecting it to be a couple hundred dollars. Though like goats really are like $15. Okay. Is that how much a goat costs? There's really not a lot of uh, like profit margins in goats and so I feel like most people get goats for free and uh. <laughs> so like people just try to get rid of their goats uh maybe again these, could get a lot more. these were Canadian dollars <laughs> come to find out so like maybe they're I don't know the exchange rate um rather than recap the show like we have been in the past previous episodes we're just going to talk about some of the highlights um so what were your favorite moments from this episode and kind of tell us about them i think the little boy with scrappy the dog that got neutered that little boy was like the most precious (laughs) which i know doesn't have anything to do with dr oakley but it was just really (laughs) cute and i was like oh i see why people enjoy being dog vets because like people come in and they're like this is my life like i love this creature um, so that was probably the highlight. And then the second one was obviously the daughter selling her goat for the birthday earrings. For sure. The, that was so sweet. It was a beautiful story. <laughs> I immediately got a bad feeling when we saw the relationship between the boy and Scrappy because I just instantly thought, oh, something's going to go terribly wrong. <laughs> you watch too many dark TV I know. shows. <laughs> it, well, it reminded me of Jeff's favorite quote about nothing killing something faster than a child's it's love. It's true. <laughs> So I was very thankful. And then Scrappy had that kind of dysphoric uh, recovery period, so I was very nervous, but Scrappy went home healthy and happy. Scrappy was fine. Yeah, I was interested to see how the, like, narrators were going to explain his dysphoria, which I don't think that, like, I think Dr. Oakley probably, like, knew what was going on and everything, but I think, I don't remember exactly what they said, but they explained it kind of funny and I was like I think the dog's just dysphoric but what do I know right well they sort of the impression I was left with from the narrator was like oh the dog is you know uncomfortable which 
it, you know, if they're just dysphoric, that's not necessarily true. So I feel like, yeah, that one was a little bit iffy on how they explained it. And but. the narrator, yeah, voiceover was super dramatic and was like, right. <laughs> and kidney disease and death. And I was <laughs> like, where did this come from? And yeah, cuts to Dr. Oakley and she's like, he's fine. He was a little wound up when he was put under. So he's, of course, going to be wound up when he comes yeah. out. Really. Again, yeah. very... Very chill. Very, very Dr. Oak. I enjoyed her surgery cap, too. I don't know if you saw that. It was, like, brain. It it looked like a design of a brain. Uh, That is a good one. I I couldn't figure out what it was, so I'm glad that you... That was my interpretation of it. I have been watching a lot of art shows lately, so... So what I was trying to figure out... So does she... The solo practitioner? No. In... Well, at least not... In future, because again, my husband is obsessed with this show, so I've seen several seasons. At certain points, there are other doctors in the clinic, but then also she's between the two clinics, so I'm not sure sort of what the total dynamic is, but there are other veterinarians at at some point that are there. Because that was when she had her birthday dinner at the river, I was like, I wonder if she gets to enjoy this or if she's like still on call right now. I would really like to know her call schedule. I would too. I would, too. That's what I was curious about. I was like, I wonder if she's on, like, 100% of the time, if right. she splits it with someone, if they have relief vets that come up and take it sometimes. Because they said, like, she's the only one for, like, hundreds of miles, so. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Which is not that appealing. Like, I don't, did you guys grow up listening to James Harriet? Yes. So I think. <laughs> no. <laughs> so even though I didn't intend on being a veterinarian, I really enjoyed the James Harriet stories. And that's kind of how it was painted, right? Mm-hmm. Is like you are on, you and your partner are on like all the time. And, you know, if you decide to like go out and have too much drinks that night, like you might get called to go like help pull a calf or something, right? And so that's kind of the the expectation going in. And then I think for most of us, usually we get to share a call with someone so that we can have nights off. But in her case, I was like, that might be a reality for her. Like she might really be on by herself all the time. Right. Yeah, it does. I mean, she's constantly kind of getting pulled in 10 directions on the episodes, but it does, that is a good question if that's really the, you know, 100% of the time or if it's just sort of the, uh, depending on the day, her schedule. Yeah. I could not handle being on call. I don't know how you guys do it. (laughs) I hate it, honestly. (laughs) I, like, can't function. The fact that you're here on call right now and (laughs) filming, recording a podcast is, like, impressive because usually when I'm on call, I'm like, I'm not scheduling anything. I'm not doing anything because if I start doing something, I know that's going to immediately be interrupted and I don't want to do that. And so... I know that's not a great way to, to live my life. Yeah. But. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but I, I think, I don't love, I really love the call schedule we currently have um, because I, I'm off call 50% of the time, which means I'm on 50% of the time. Um, so it's kind of a glass half full or half <laughs> yeah. empty thing. Um, but I, there is like a sick part of me that likes being on. And also like, I'm someone who loves to cancel plans and being on call is my perfect opportunity to be like, oh, I can't, I'm on call. Or like pretend I got a call, even that though maybe I didn't. That is the greatest excuse. <laughs> <laughs> now I So know there are us. some perks. Yeah. yeah. I'll start saying that we have a parasite emergency. There's a parasite emergency. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to run this fecal. <laughs> Use yeah. it. No one yeah. ever questions it. You just can't use it for people that work in the same building. Yeah, that <laughs> is hard to explain. You're like, no, Alana, I'm on. 
Well, yeah, I know. I mean, the only experience I had with it was during fourth year. And even then, when you get called in, it's really just to, like, clean up or hold something. So it wasn't even for You're a like, stressful situation. like, I'm here situation. to bear witness. Right. <laughs> I will write this record. Yeah. But. I always feel a little bit guilty calling the student in. Because I'm like, I remember as a fourth year, I hated being called in. And you really do just get to do, like, the paperwork. But some students really want to, like, that's their, like, learning opportunity, so they, like, like to be around it, so I I have to remember that, too. Yeah, I think it depends on what the situation is. I mean, I obviously dreaded it more when it was on a small animal rotation, because then I was like, well, I I just don't care that much about this. (laughs) But I know, like, when I was on field services or food animal, I was, you know, excited, because those were the sort of things that I was more interested in, so... I guess I do like being on call because you get, like, more of the interesting cases as far as, like, true emergencies, and and usually it's the, like, more more interesting stuff's happening, yeah. but um, I guess I, I, I really don't like it because it's usually after a long day of work, and I've already done my time. I already did something today. I don't want to do something again. Yeah. I think, I think that's fair for sure. Especially if you know you have a big day coming the next day. Like, like for me, like if I, if we're doing a bunch of procedures the next day and I like really want to read up that night and I want to be prepared and have everything kind of lined up and ready to go. Um, then if we get an emergency in the middle of the night, I'm like, oh man. (laughs) So in those instances, yeah, sometimes I'm not super happy about it, but usually like, I don't know for you, but for me, like once I'm like in my truck and I'm driving, I'm like so into it that then I'm no longer annoyed. The annoyance period is a good, like, 30 seconds from when my phone rings to, like, me getting my pants on. (laughs) And then usually by the time I make it to the truck, I'm over it. Jeff is just annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) For the most part. I think I'm that way with most things. You know, even if it's just plans with friends, I'm sort of annoyed up until the point that I'm there. (laughs) And then I'm fine. (laughs) I think there's, like, this great um, stand-up by John Mulaney, and he talks about how, like, canceling plans is, like, heroin. Like, the high it gives you, and I'm like, yes, I can relate to that. I hope you all know I almost canceled. (laughs) I woke up, and I was just like, you know, I'm not really feeling it. (laughs) And there was, like, a good... 30 minutes where I was like, I'm just going to text them, <laughs> tell them I'm not feeling it. And obviously, I'm glad that we didn't, I didn't do that, but... Yeah, but I think most things in life are like that. <laughs> like, unless you're in the middle, you're like, why would I have canceled well, I this? I understand. <laughs> I'm having fun. <laughs> but you could be watching Blown Away. Yeah, that's true. I have a whole half season to finish. <laughs> I'll do that after. <laughs> Pace yourself. Yeah. Is there anything that you didn't like about that first episode that you saw? I know I have some thoughts on this. Oh, good. Yeah, I wouldn't say there's anything that I was like, oh, I really don't like this. And I think, again, part of that is because they weren't working on horses. So I think you're always more critical when it's something that you work on. But I'm like, I'm not going to say anything about what's being done with these other creatures because that's not my expertise. Uh, The one thing, though, that I wondered about was... uh, what her family thought about like having the camera crews in the house and not that that's wrong but I just wondered like how that conversation went between her and her husband and her kids being like hey like we're gonna get a bunch of money to like do this tv show but it means that like they're gonna be in our home 
with cameras interviewing you guys for X number of months or years. Yeah, I have a feeling the daughter who sat on the boat by herself <laughs> while the rest of the family was fishing probably wasn't super not, into not thrilled about that. <laughs> the close-up filming for that five minutes or whatever. Uh, but yeah, that I always wonder too, because they show, especially this, again, I've seen quite a bit of this show. The family is a big part of it. You know, they, it's, you know, maybe a quarter of the episode is dedicated to like the family, whatever's going on with them at the time. And I really liked uh, this episode because her husband seems pretty awkward in this one. And he gets, he's one of my favorite parts of the show, like, in future Is seasons. that your crush? <laughs> like, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dylan? Well, I have a crush on her husband. <laughs> <laughs> well, she did say something about how patient he was, and I told Dylan that um, he would need to be more patient if he wanted that compliment so um yeah but he he gets he has some pretty good one-liners in future episodes but on this one I feel like you could almost tell that he was sort of like avoiding the camera and he's it was awkward he was looking through that scope like out his window like maybe if I just creep on the neighbors they won't film me though she probably doesn't have any neighbors it was probably just looking at wilderness true my only thing that I didn't like and it has nothing to do with Dr. Oakley. There were just too many damn birds in this episode. Yeah, I don't really like birds. There's always a lot of birds. I'm a little afraid of them. I used to be legitimately afraid of birds. And I did, uh, I spent some time at a wildlife clinic uh, in Florida. And that helped me. I think my fear turned into just a healthy respect of birds. And we worked with, you know, um hawks and uh, a lot of like large you know birds of prey which are pretty frightening to work with because you have both like their uh, beak and their claws that could do serious damage to you so um, I think they're cool to see but yeah there is usually like a large portion of the show is uh, bird related which well she does work right next to like the whatever raptor rehabilitation or bird rehabilitation so yeah, so... Which means that when you're, like, back when we were studying for Navley and you get all those bird questions and you're like, I don't need to know any of this. <laughs> Dr. Oakley actually had to know all She's of that. Like, she yeah. had to know how to, like, anesthetize a bird. I couldn't help her there. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will agree with you that I did lose interest a little bit when they had the bird scenes. When they had, when they were like prank checking Raspberry and she was looking at the yak's eye, I was like, oh yeah, like, I'm watching this. And then there was the birds and I was like, yeah, yeah, it's the birds. <laughs> I forgot that this was the episode with Raspberry. Raspberry will appear in future episodes oh, as wonderful. well. Wonderful. And I think that Raspberry is the greatest cow name <laughs> ever. Yeah. I love it so much. Raspberry is my favorite part of the entire show. Just the best. She's it's a so cute, cute cow, it's too. It's so cute. Yeah. I really also enjoy how Raspberry's owner went through all the things you can do with milk. <laughs> <laughs> I make cottage cheese, sour cream, ghee, butter. <laughs> I didn't catch that at all. <laughs> I think I was too distracted by how cute Raspberry was. It was great. It was like, it was like Bubba out of Forrest Gump. Like she was just listing off all these dairy products. Oh, a little Raspberry. But she doesn't get to 
make any of those things because Raspberry wasn't pregnant. Stay tuned. <gasps> Spoilers. <laughs> that long honeymoon paid off. Yeah, <laughs> I loved her ex- or Doctor Oakley's explanation for that. She had some really good like metaphors or or. Uh, stuff that she would tell clients (laughs) yeah she is really good at that too I mean I feel like she has a good sense of humor but she's able to get because I think sometimes in vet med maybe we get a little raunchy about stuff and so I give her major props for being able to you know the show I think has been on it's a Nat Geo show yeah and I think it sometimes is shown on PBS maybe or like one of the local stations um so to be able to like harness your humor and let it be okay for that type of audience is pretty impressive. So yeah, she kept it pretty PG. Yeah, but it was still so funny. funny. Did you learn anything about vet med in this episode or any life teachable moments? Uh, I feel we've talked about previously that most of our education came from television. <laughs> so sad, uh, any, sad but true. Any anything you learned? you want to share? Mm, maybe where the Yukon is. <laughs> well, we didn't learn that. <laughs> We're still unclear. I don't know where exactly it is. No, I wouldn't say anything necessarily, like, veterinary-wise. Because um, I just, I still don't know what was wrong with the yak's eye. She said it was, she like, cloudy, know. so I was like, I don't know if it's, like, corneal edema. Like, I don't know what what's happening with the yak's eye. Yeah, it... I was curious about that, too. I thought they were going to go into a little more detail, but the daughter kind of stole the show on She's that like, All right, segment. Stop <laughs> talking about this damn yak. I got some business to take care of. How about you guys? I learned that yaks are smaller than I thought they were. I thought they were a lot bigger. Bigger, yeah. yeah. That's something I also learned from the show, because there's a lot of yaks, again, in future episodes. But, uh, yeah, I thought they were huge, and they're not. Pretty small. Pretty small. Kind of want one. I also appreciated her explaining euthanasia. I thought that was a very teachable moment for the public as far as she had that bird with, like, the broken wing. And mm-hmm. She was, like, talked about, like, the animal's welfare and then, like, the... What is it? Not cost of living. Quality of life. Quality of life. <laughs> cost of living. <laughs> that was one of the main discussion points. <laughs> I'm going to cut that. I don't think it's high in Yukon. <laughs> she talks about the animal's quality of life and how it can't live without one wing because it'd be completely off balance and depends on that. And so I thought that was a very teachable moment. I thought she handled that really well. And I like that, you, you know, it was obvious that that wasn't just an easy decision for her. You know, like she was still affected by it. She felt really bad that she couldn't do something to save the bird so I think that's good for people to see because this maybe goes back to some of like the common comments that you get from people when they find out you're a vet and I, a lot of what I've heard is you know oh I wanted to be a vet until I realized you had to euthanize things and it just always rubs me the wrong way a little bit because you know, don't think that we enjoy that aspect of the job. It's it's just a responsibility that we take on because you can understand that that animal doesn't have a, a good quality of life in its future if you don't. So I've actually started leaning into it. So people are like, <laughs> why, 
oh, you are a veterinarian, you must love animals. I'm like, actually, I hate animals, <laughs> and I just got a job so I could kill a lot of them. <laughs> oh, my God. And that would be usually, good for the airplane yeah. conversation, because <laughs> yeah. I feel like it would be very short. That yeah. usually shuts shit down <laughs> real quick. And then headphones in, and no one's talking. <laughs> there is There is a South Park episode from a long time ago. Uh, where there's a veterinarian and I think like Butters looks like a dog and somehow ends up at the local pound and the veterinarian was like well which dogs of these should we kill today and he like goes back and I was like oh my god and all my friends I think I was like in vet school and that episode came out and um, they were like that's what you're gonna do and I was like yeah that's what I'm gonna do <laughs> but I, I do agree I think she did a good job of explaining that and and all of the kind of information that goes into making that decision so that you're not just look you know taking a quick glance and being like yeah that animal needs to be euthanized like taking time to kind of go through why that's the fair decision to make because mm-hmm. the cost of living is <laughs> that cost of living in the Yukon <laughs> um one thing so the episode ended with them releasing those bald eagle fledglings i don't know or eaglets. Eaglets. eaglets and like them flying away and i just started cackling because it reminded me at oklahoma state we had a, a an owl that they rehabilitated and they did this big press release and Uh-oh. had the media come out as they let the bird go <laughs> and they did it and it immediately flew into a power line <laughs> And everyone's like, oh, it's okay, it's fine. And I'm pretty sure it just exploded. <laughs> That's so bad. I wonder, though, because one eaglet didn't take off. Like, the first one did, and then the second one, like, hopped. And I was like, ooh, it's not doing super great. And then it took off, but I was like, keep going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't go, give up. Go, buddy, go. Stay away from power lines. <laughs> Now that we've recapped episode one of season one, Dr. Oakley, Yukon Vet, which obviously is focused on Dr. Oakley, who kind of sees this wide variety of species in this very beautiful area, uh, we're curious what, uh, if you had your own veterinary TV show, what sort of the theme of the show would be? Okay, I have two ideas. (laughs) The first one is it would be called Horse Crazy, and it would really more chronicle the owners of the horses that come in, that because those would be the idea. most entertaining part of it, right? Like, it'd be, like, really good reality TV. So good. Um, and that's coming from a, like, horse crazy person. The other idea, though, after we had our little talk about um, the match and interns, is to set that up um, kind of like an episode of The Bachelor, and just chronicle all of our interns as they're going through match season, you know, with it culminating in match day and then hearing about what their futures are. <laughs> Which would be very cruel, but again, very good entertainment. Having, like, <laughs> representatives from each each institution coming up to be like, Dr. Farrell, will you please accept this internship? <laughs> yeah, it'd be yes. great. i get uh, roses and everything. So good. I think it'd be so good to have them do, like, the little cameo, not, like, the little side interviews to be like, Actually, I hate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, or or all the things you say in your interview because you know that's what you're supposed to say, but then on the side you want to be like, no, I actually would never work on uh, farm animals or food animals. (laughs) I only like horses. I just told them that because that's part of their program. I think the juxtaposition of those two things (laughs) would be some quality TV. 
That would really, I honestly think maybe we should, uh, you know, pause the recording and get more into the <laughs> details of the show that we're going to create. But also, can we please go back to horse crazy? Because <laughs> you just dropped like two insanely good TV show ideas on us. Should we this should is go, how we're going to make our money. Yeah, yeah. we should go copyright yeah. real fast. <laughs> TM, TM. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do feel like, and I love, I love horse owners. Like, I would say they're the best and worst part of my job. But like, when we have good owners, they like love their horses and people have their horses for like 20 or 30 years, right? Like they're, they have them a really long time and they're very invested in them. Um, and their care, for better or worse. Um, and a lot of horse owners kind of fancy themselves as being veterinarians. <laughs> so I just feel like the commentary you could get from them would just be gold. It'd be so good. Incredible. And the, and the wide variety, right? Like you could have the barrel racers and you could have the dressage queens um, and you could have the race horse people. Like it would be really good. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny because I think owners of any animal are sort of – I think horse owners get the bad rap, but they are in a way they're like caricatures of all the uh, of all the general owner types, right? Like horse people just kind of take it to the extreme. It seems like so. I would definitely watch that show. Yeah, well, depending on where you're based in the country, like it could almost be like Real Housewives. Like if you get into like an affluent enough area, it would be good. Oh yeah, Nat Geo, if you're listening, <laughs> come to Alana. She's got. Some great ideas. <laughs> Nat Geo turned off this podcast about an hour and a half ago. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in and, and recording with us. I've yeah, I'm more than happy to. Great time with you. All my dreams have been fulfilled. I've made it onto a podcast. That no one listens to. <laughs> my, my mom will. A- it's asterisk fine. that. <laughs> that our moms listen to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have anything else to add to this. This has been a lot of fun. Huh. Very glad that we could recruit a guest. Our first and last guest. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just a trio podcast from now. Yeah, yeah, I, I like it. Do you just want to stick around? <laughs> yeah. and, and it could still be DVMT with Katie and Jeff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it'll yeah, just every week you'll be like, with guests. <laughs> <laughs> with guests, Alana Farrell. <laughs> we'll just introduce you by a different name. You yeah. like it. <laughs> like, that lady sounds a, really similar to the past four. <laughs> Are all veterinarians the same? <laughs> My mom would be texting me, it's you again. <laughs> Well, thank you again for coming. I, I've i had a blast. I speak for Katie, and she also had a blast. <laughs> and uh, I hope you had fun. And yeah. And as always, if you have any questions for Katie or I, or even Dr. Farrell, feel free to reach out to us at dvmtpodcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to like, review, and subscribe to our podcast. I think that's it. God, I'm killing this. You're doing really well. Um, Yeah, well, this is where we all say goodbye in harmony. (laughs) Three, two, one, goodbye. goodbye.